Well, if you've come to church today looking for a bit of encouragement and strength, we've sung some great songs already, but I want you to know this text is for you today. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 26 and 27. You can find that on page 586, I think, in your pew Bible. And when you get there, we will stand for the reading of God's word. Again, Isaiah 26 and 27. Let's stand. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For Yahweh is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Yahweh, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learned righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of the uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of Yahweh. O Yahweh, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Yahweh, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Yahweh, our God, other lords beside You have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live, they are shades, and they will not rise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Yahweh. You have increased the nation, you are glorified. You have enlarged the labor, the the borders of the land. O Yahweh, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Yahweh. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, Yahweh is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. In that day, Yahweh with his great, hard, strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, Yahweh, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march out against them. I would burn them up together. Or 
Let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In the days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile, you contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no ashram or incense altars will remain standing. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like a wilderness. There the calf grazes. There it lies down and strips its branches. When its bows are dry, they are broken. Women come and make, make a fire of them. For this is a people without discernment. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, Yahweh will thresh out the grain. And you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will blow. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship Yahweh on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come collectively asking you that you would take this text and use it to encourage us to look to you. That we would further have our gaze taken from what's on horizontal, what's to our right and what's to our left, and we would see you for who you are. I pray that you would instill hope in your people today. We pray for this. Amen. So we're moving through. We're in chapters 26 and 27 of Isaiah. And they're great chapters because we spent a good chunk of time in chapter 24 looking at the corrupt and the lofty city that needs to be done away with, that has its root in selfishness and human pride and arrogance that needs to be purged, purged for God's perfect kingdom to come. And we got a taste of that perfect kingdom and restoration in chapter 25. But the the prophet wants us to be encouraged and he's going to take that picture of Restoration 25 and he's going to put it on full display in chapters 26 and 27. So this is a great picture of what is coming. And the 26 and 27 function in a very similar way. They both start up with a picture of what's going to come in the future and then they come back down to the present day of Isaiah's day and then they go back up looking forward to the future and what's coming. 26 really capitalizes on, on, on the security that God brings. 27, the restoration. But really, together, they form a beautiful argument for trusting the Lord. So I want us to, to hear that. Trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, coming from every corner of this text. And mainly from the voices we find in this text. We're going to find four voices. The voice of the redeemed community, the voice of the faithful community, the voice of the prophet and the voice of God himself. Each one bringing us to, if you look at me, actually at verse 4, bring us to this very verse. Trust in Yahweh forever, for Yahweh is an everlasting rock. 
So let's go to the first section. The first section is chapter 26, verse 1 to 6. And here we're going to hear the voice of the redeemed community. It says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. So we have a tone already of celebration. It goes on and says, We have a strong city. That's what they're leading us to. That's what they, they're saying. Look at this. You can get a picture of these people and they're just marveling at this city. The strength of the city, the beauty of the city. And we have a strong city. It goes on. He sets up salvation on walls and bulwarks. So they're looking at themselves. They're like, we are walled in with the salvation that God brings. It's a marvelous city. And looking to this city has been a hallmark of faith since the beginning. When Abraham received those great promises of God for a nation and a, and a land and descendants and one who would come and bless the nations, he, when he went into the promised land that God had said he would have, pitched tents. He walked through that land. Why did he do that? Why would he pitch tents in that land? The book of Hebrews tells us that he was looking for a city where its foundations were made by God himself. That's what Abraham was looking towards. And it's of no coincidence that Revelation 21 speaks of the salvation to come in terms of a city coming down from heaven, from God himself. So these voices in these early verses are saying, look up, Christian. Look at what's coming. And this is our hope. This is the hope of our faith. Eternity with God. Do you have a faith like that today that includes what's coming? Do you have eyes that look forward to the strong city that God will set up in that great day? And there's more to this. Look at verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is a city of faith. This is a, a city where faith, where peace is experienced. So we got to ask ourselves, how, what kind of faith is this? What does this faith look like? I want us to think of mountain climbers. I want us to think of those people that climb up those 5,000 to 8,000 meter high mountains. And they do so to get to their destination at the top with the right gear. The right gear. They use things called a protection, which is a steel piece of, a piece of steel that they, when they're climbing, they, when they're climbing those great heights, they wedge it into the rock. And they secure their harness to that so then they continue to climb and they have a support. So if their foot ever stripped, or if they ever fell, that rope and that wedge in the rock held them fast so they could climb with more confidence to get to the top. And this is exactly what the text is saying. Trust the Lord, for in him there is peace for those whose mind is stayed on him. Like those mountain climbers, let's stay our mind on the Lord. Every step we take, with every fear that comes your way, whether it cause you sorrow or pain, Whatever decision you need to make, wedge it into the rock. And it's not just the rock. What does it say at the end of verse 4? Trust Yahweh forever. For Yah Yahweh is an everlasting rock. This isn't just any mountain known in our world. This is God himself who is eternal, unshakable, and can be the perfect support for you. So they are just marveling at what God has done. And they're calling us to do the same thing. So take Take no more steps without looking to the everlasting rock and what is coming. We live in a day and age where, like Isaiah's day and age, there were many strongholds that seemed to, to say, hey, I can offer you peace, or I can keep you in good times, or I can protect you from what's coming. And our age is no different. Just go on the internet, watch TV. We offer everything in our culture. And yet, 
Doesn't matter how many of these strongholds we have, we have seen more so now, it seems in the last decade, less and less people with true peace. More minds and souls rocked with burdened consciences, sorrows, fears, and anxieties. Oh, we just need to tell the world, run to the rock. Trust nothing else. We have true peace. We have a city in the future that will be peace. And we have the message of peace that we can take out of this world that so desperately needs it. What a beautiful message. So trust the Lord, Christian. Trust the Lord, see his strength, and press into him and know true peace. One day that song will be ours. That's, our, that's the glories of what we believe, that will, we will be there. But we need to hear another voice. So Isaiah now comes down from the future and he lands in the present. So we're now we're going to hear the voice of the redeemed community in the present. We heard the redeemed community in the future, now it's from the present. And Isaiah speaks as on behalf of this community. So you're going to see words like the first person plurals, us, and we all over this text. So he is voicing and standing and speaking on behalf of this community. It's much like their autobiography. So what, we, what does life look like for those who are longing for that heavenly city? And they do long for it. Look at verse 8. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. These people are longing desperately and passionately for that day. And what marks their life? Waiting and hope. You see, we see that in verse 8. In the path of your judgments, O Yahweh, we wait for you. That's what they're telling us. Wait. You ever thought about your Christian life as something like that? As just a, a time of waiting? Trusting? Abraham had to wait almost decades for the son, for the promises God gave him, some of them to come to fruition. Moses and the people had to spend 40 years in the wilderness before he brought them into the promised land. Waiting is part of trusting the Lord. Waiting on his timetable. Looking to him in the present. So this text teaches us how to wait well because life is full of difficulties. Look at the pain some of this text shows us. Look at verse 16. O Yahweh, in distress they sought you. Look at verse 17. Like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near giving birth, so were we because of you, O Yahweh. So how do they make it? They have beautiful hope. They're waiting with hope. We see amazing hope. Look at verse 12. O Yahweh, you will ordain peace for us. For indeed, you have done all our works. Look at verse 19. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. So they're waiting in hope, even amidst real difficulty. Even amidst waiting, when life is hard. Living in a mental world that rejects the majesty of God. When God's favor is shown, they don't want any part of it. They don't recognize him. Corruption is taking place. So what are things that we can see here that's going to help us trust the Lord when we need to wait? And one of them is giving yourself to the word of God. Look at verse 7. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. They have seen God 
speak in his word and they have taken what he said and they're interpreting the present with it. Your judgments, his righteousness that he spoke is now being put into action. And they're seeing it, they're, they're savoring it, they're keeping all these things in their heart. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord means that God has revealed himself to us. When we wait, seek his face for he's made it known. It's a beautiful thing when we can look at the word and see God's promises, see God's plans. And it's not just reading the word in general. It's taking the word and applying it to your life. I don't know what context uh, you're in right now, what your life looks like. Maybe it's full of sorrows that have come upon you like a flood. Maybe it's a time where you're feeling and experiencing rejection from family members or, or people in the world. Maybe your integrity has been all but shredded. Maybe you are feeling the pains of a broken world or a heavy heart or even the weight that comes through just our sinfulness. There's a context, just like your life's context, in the Bible, there's contexts that speak about this and how the Lord addresses it. So we need to find those and apply those to our life. You're going to find in the Bible that God is merciful. He vindicates. He saves. He lifts up the crushed in spirit. He protects and keeps. So we need to find those truths in the Bible and apply them to our life. And better yet, to increase our trust in the Lord, take what we read and bring it right back up to the Lord. Bring it right back to him in prayer. You know how many O Yahweh's there are in this section? Look at verse 11. O Yahweh. 12. O Yahweh. 13. O Yahweh our God. 16. O Yahweh in distress they sought you. And again at the verse of 17, O Yahweh, they are pleading with him. They are going to him. They have taken what the Lord said in his word and they're just bringing it right back to up in him in prayer. That's why they can say, O Lord, you've ordained peace for us. That's why they can say, O Lord, we have hope that you're going to enlarge the nation. That's why they know that even though they're being ruled temporally by really harsh leaders, that God is still in rule in his, in, on his place and his throne over them. And that all increases our trust as we keep, we, we are further and further detached from this world and further set off the temporal and onto what's coming. And it's hard to think about, but the discipline of the Lord does this as well. The discipline of the Lord helps us trust him more. He is drawing them in. They are realizing their weakness for him. Verse 16, O Yahweh, in our distress, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer. When your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so we were because of you. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we had given birth to wind. We've accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. They're realizing that they can't do it on their own. They can't bring about these, these victories. And God is showing them his strength. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul is talking about a season of life where God brought him that threatened his very life, brought him to the point, almost the point of death. And then he says, what was the point of that? So that I might not trust myself, but trust the Lord more. And when the Lord brings us through that, do not doubt that he will meet you with an equal amount of comfort. An equal amount of comfort. So they say with confidence, this season's not forever. God is ours because we've looked at his word. We have brought our cares toward him. There's not a care that he doesn't take seriously. 
All the things that befell us and fall upon us that are due to this evil world, he's going to do away. So they say in verse 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. They have their eyes set on the resurrection of their bodies. When this is over, when their waiting gives birth to joy, unspeakable joy, So they give us a beautiful testimony of how to trust the Lord in the present. Look to his word. Pray to him in light of his promises. And humble yourself under his lordship as he even disciplines us out of love for us. And take hope. Take courage. So now we need to hear more. The the testimony of the community is that God will rise them from the dead. And now we need, we need to, we're going to hear another voice. The voice of the prophet in verse 20 through 27, 1. And he too is going to lead us to trust in the Lord through his words. For the community knew that they were going to have victory over death. The prophet now reveals to us that this victory over death comes when he defeats our enemies. Look at this. It says, he's saying now, in light of this, come, my people, the prophet is speaking, to your chambers, shut your doors behind you. Verse 12, for behold, the Yahweh is coming out. So he's pointing us towards the Lord's strength. If someone walked up to you and said, tell me one thing about your God. I want to know a bit about Yahweh. What would you say? What do you think you'd tell that person? We can think of a few. We, we, we love the mercy of God. God's merciful. He's holy. He's righteous. He's eternal. He's powerful. But Isaiah, through these verses, is telling us that God is able It is one of the most common refrains of God in the Bible. He's able. He's able. And we see it here in the most beautiful ways. He's able to keep his people, and he's able to fight for his people. Come, enter into your chamber. Shut your doors behind you. You you almost brings to mind Noah. God shut up Noah in the ark. Makes us think of the Passover when God told his people, hide yourselves for a little while while my judgment passes over. He's able to keep us. But then he goes on to say, in that day with his hard and great strong sword, he will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Our God is able. He gives a picture here of one foul swoop with this great sword, and he chops off the head of what seemed insurmountable to us, what seemed so formidable, and in a moment, a snap of his fingers, it's destroyed. And again, this is in that day. If you go to the book of Revelation and you look up Revelations um, 20, verses 7 through 9, it says that the serpent, which Satan is going to be unleashed to deceive the nations. He's going to gather up an army and it's going to number the sand on the seashore. And then in about a few words, it just says, but a fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Just like that. Our God is able. And how does that help us trust the Lord? Because our strength and our continuous is in his strength. It's in his victory. We are victorious through our faith in him, through the victory of him and his son. So look to him. Faith hides himself and finds its life in his strength. There's a world he's saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And the message of this text, our God is power. He is omnipotent. And there's no fight he can't lose. He can't win. That was was a tough slip up there. (laughs) So there's this beautiful picture of God's strength. 
And we get these pictures of Leviathan and, and the fleeing serpent, the twisting serpent. We can think of those as the most powerful things in the day, maybe these sea monsters. But it is a picture of the, beauty, of the end of his war against Satan and all evil. And that's what we're being freed from, saved from this fallen world. And what does this victory give way to? What are we rising up to? So the community said we're going to rise again. Isaiah says, my God's strong enough to defeat our enemies. Saved to what? Risen for what? And now we need to hear the voice of the Lord. All the scripture is God-breathed, but here we see him speaking. And he speaks about a beautiful vineyard. He says, it says, in that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. He's calling us to sing about restoration, his work. This is celebratory, this is climactic. Save to this forever. Save to what? What are we going to sing about? What does he want us to see? Look at verse 3. I, Yahweh, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone should punish it. I keep it day and night. The care and the protection of the Lord is so evident in these verses. This is who God is. He'll be that for us in this and, and that day. He's also that for you today. He nourishes us. He keeps us. He watches over us. He protects us. And we will know in that day the full majesty of God and we will sing. And that day as well is coming. And what's beautiful about that day as well, look at verse 4, I have no wrath. If you go back to chapter 5, there's a story about a vineyard, and it's a different story. It's the story of what we did with the vineyard, what Israel did. They didn't look after it, it was given by God, and God was lamenting in song over it, which is different, he's calling us to sing now in his work. He lamented over it, and his wrath was upon it for the way they were treating what he had given. But this is different, he says here, I have no wrath. That wrath has gone from being over his people to gone. What's now in, in his heart is an absence of wrath, but also full of love for his people. And he just can't wait but ex help but express it. Look at verse 4. It says, he's, I have no wrath. Would I that have thorns or briars to battle? I would march out against them and I would burn them up together. That's an example of God's love for you. He's telling us that himself. So again, there's peace here. Just like in chapter 26, 1 and 2 there, that God brings his people into peace, so there is peace here, peace from God. And there's another beautiful aspect of this. So he says, I'll protect you. I've got passionate love for you. Then he goes on, or these people that would come up against his vineyard, let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. This is marvelous. It again shows us the heart of God. He is just desiring to welcome people into his place, into this heavenly vineyard, into paradise. Let them make peace with me. He's holding out his hand and saying, come and take hold of me. Come and take protection in my refuge. Come know the joy of being nourished by me and cared by me. It's amazing. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering if God would ever have you. Maybe you've been thinking, I, I, I long for that. That sounds pretty good to me. But you don't know about my past. You don't know about how much I've given myself over to alcohol. You don't know about that abortion. You don't know about that relationship that I broke. You don't know all that I've done. The Lord, we got a different message for that today. Hear the Lord again. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. 
So it is come and receive that offer. It's a beautiful picture of the vineyard and God. Another picture here we see in verse 6 is, In the days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. There's a picture here of God's glory going out to every corner of the earth. Where again, his people are back to their original purpose of being mirrors of him. Dispensers of his glory. But then the question kind of arises. How can this, how can this be? How can people who have resisted God their whole life now take hold of his peace? How can Jacob, who in chapter 5 in the vineyard, whose God's wrath was over, now be fruitful? And I think we get the answer, the glorious answer from the rest of our text, because the text goes on to talk about exile. God is going to send them in. God is actually going to punish them. In verse 7, he says, Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers have been slain? Yes. Yeah, God's punishment was on them. It was real. So we need hints. What are the hints here that we get that how we enter this thing? I think some of them are in verse 6. In the days to come, Jacob shall take root, and Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots. In chapter 11 of Isaiah, it's spoken of, that's, those similar imagery is spoken of of someone different. It says, Thou shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That's speaking of an individual. That's why I'm speaking about Jesus. That's why in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. And apart from me, you don't want to attach yourself to me, you can do nothing. There can be no fruit bearing. Well, we get a greater hint and a wonderful hint here in verse 9. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the, of the removal of his sin. Speaks here, we see this word atoned for. We see the removal of his sin. Isaiah is wanting us and he's helping us to see how, how we, when someone runs to that refuge of God, they can actually lay hold of peace. It's through this work of atonement. Through this remo- removal of sin. Think of atonement as, as what needs to take place for enemies to become friends. To live with a holy God forever, we need our sin removed. So Isaiah is starting this theme that he is going to build upon, this truth that he's going to explain more and more. And Isaiah 53 says it wonderfully. It says this about the Lord's servant. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It's through the work of him. It's through the work of the cross that you can actually hear today take with confidence God's appeal for you to come take his peace and find protection in him. It's because of Christ that we, even these Israelites who are going into exile, could have hope that one day they would be brought out of that into this wonderful kingdom. It's the hope we have that when, read verses 12 and 13 with me. The hope Christ and the, and the atonement gives us this hope that in that day, the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, Yahweh will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one. You will be gleaned. God's not going to lose one person. And the work of Christ on the cross gives us great confidence. And when that trumpet is blown, we will see his face and we will be with him. So trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. And run to the gospel. And the fruit of this, the fruit of knowing true peace with God, having our sins removed from us, 
it, 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 it leads to leading a life of fidelity to the Lord. Look at the verses following in verse 9. After the removal of his sin, when he makes all the stones and the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no ashram or incense altars will remain standing. Saved to love him forever with your whole heart. Our hearts purified, new life, new hearts, new desires. So if there's a stronghold in your life right now, I don't know what it might be, what you're wrestling with, don't try any other measure. Don't try any other method either of trying to uproot this yourself. Grace is the way we uproot idols from our hearts. The cross is where we go to have these idols ripped out. And only the gospel can do that. So we need, as Christians, the cross the unbelieving world needs to hear about the cross. We need to hear, they need to hear about atonement. So here again as we close, hear the word of God. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, Yahweh, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day, I have no wrath. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need to have our eyes fixed on what's coming. And better yet, we need to have our eyes fixed on you and your strength. You can keep us. And your word is enough. You've revealed yourself. And that you have put forward the perfect way in which we can become your friend. Become into your presence. So I pray that would grip our hearts this week. I pray that this week we would look to the everlasting rock and find peace. Amen.